Tonight we want to resume imputed righteousness. Imputed righteousness. Coming from Isaiah the 45th chapter where he says in verse 8 that he was the drop down ye heavens from above and let the earth, the, the skies pour down righteousness. Let the earth open and let them bring forth salvation and let righteousness spring up together. I, the Lord, have created it. This is his righteousness being poured down. I told you about the fallow ground and receiving this righteousness where he was imputing his righteousness. Now we want to get to that word, he's imputing the righteousness. In other words, it's not imparted righteousness, it's imputed righteousness. And imputed, imputed righteousness, it's reckoning, accounting of Christ's righteousness unto us. So this is not a righteousness of our own. Our own righteousness is like filthy rags. So we have to, as receiving this gift that he's given us, we have to sort of, let's say, put on Christ. It's like clothing. He says robed in his righteousness. It's something that we put on. That's us doing something because he had done something. What he had done is imputed us in righteousness. In other words, this is a one-time act, just like justification is a one-time act. Either you're righteous or you're unrighteous. Either you're just or you're unjust. It's no halfway. It's like half pregnant. You're either pregnant or you're not pregnant. You either is or are. And so if you are not, if who, and it says it in Revelation, he that is unrighteous, let him remain unrighteous. He that is righteous, let him remain righteous. But by being the bride of Christ, we have to also get ourselves ready. And that's putting him on because he's provided the garments, the raiments that we should wear. But we have to be clothed in him. That means we have to take off the old clothing to put on the new clothing sort of be uniformity at the wedding, this uniformity in Christ Jesus. Verse 13 says, I have raised him up in righteousness, and I will direct all his ways. He shall build my cities, and he shall let go my captives, not for price nor reward, saith the Lord of hosts. This is Cyrus he's talking about here. But it needs to be applicable to all of us. It needs to apply to all of us. We need to take this scripture and, and apply and, and We need to apprehend this scripture. We need to make it for us, put it on. In other words, he's talking about me. So is he raised me in righteousness? It's none of my righteousness. This is a nature of this is something in him, uh, of him, uh, of his doing a part of what he's got. There's none good, none, and there's none good. So any goodness I have, that's of Christ. So he had raised me up, and I had not known him. He told Cyrus, he said, you have not known me. So this was part of Cyrus's character, a makeup, and Cyrus not knowing that God had did this, just as he did Jeremiah. He had shaped him and formed him in the womb. Because we realize that he had chosen us before the foundations of the world. He had chosen us. That's why I say we have to 
take these scriptures and assimilate them and let them go throughout in us to make us of the word. That This word is what's making us alive. The word in us is giving us to both the will and to do. So in verse 19, he comes back and says in verse 19, if I can see here, I have not spoken in secret in a dark place of the earth. I said not unto the seed of Jacob, seek ye me in vain. I, the Lord, speak righteousness. I declare things that are right. The declaration of his word, the gospel, this gospel that's went into all of the world, it's not spoken in a corner. This is something that's necessary. And what it does, it quickens, it makes us alive so that that righteousness springs up. When we hear this word, something is activated in us. It's, it acts as a, the preaching as a catalyst, and it, it's a catharsis in us that this, this thing just starts to burn. This righteousness starts to spring up. We start putting on, on Christ. What happens is the preaching and the activation of this, it creates a hunger in us. Creates a hunger and thirsting. We start hungering and thirsting after His righteousness. Because we are born again. That new nature that's planted in us, that circumcision of the flesh, He has given us of His righteousness. It's been imputed unto us. We have to make that our own. We have to be in His image and His likeness. So in His righteousness are we shaped and conformed to His image and His likeness mortifying the deeds of the body. In other words, putting it to death. We have to put self to death because he's active and he's alive in us. Is Christ in me the hope of glory? Is Christ in me that liveth? So this is activated. There's no male or female. There's no Jew or Gentile. But we're all one in Christ, so we don't see the division here. We're all of this one. We're all of Christ. We're all of God. There's no male or female. So this is applicable to all who receive it by faith. You remember we have to believe God. Believe in his word. Believe in the proclamation of that word. Because they can't hear without somebody preaching that word. Faith coming by hearing and hearing of the word of God. And when they hear that word, it activates them. That preaching would be the, uh, let me say, maybe the catharsis that would activate this thing. It, it sets a whole thing on fire. That tongue, the word of God, sets it afire. Uh, it says here, verse 23, in effect says, I have sworn by myself the word is gone out of my mouth in righteousness. Because he is righteousness. All of his law is righteousness. That's the character of God. And it hates unrighteousness. That's one of the characteristics of of righteousness and it hates unrighteousness and we hate that which God hates. And justice justice is performed by righteousness because it is just the righteousness of God. It says, and shall not return that unto me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear and confess. Surely shall we surely shall one say in the Lord have I righteousness and strength. Even to him shall men come, and all that are incensed against him shall be ashamed. All shall come in righteousness. This is because the word that is preached, the righteousness of God being imputed. And in this last days, 
we see it springing up, that kingdom that Daniel was saying that smote the mountain, that was cut out without hands. That kingdom is growing. Matthew 22, 11-14 says, But when the king came in to meet the guests, he noticed a man who wasn't wearing the wedding robe provided for him. Friend, he asked, How does it happen that you are here without a wedding robe? And the man had no reply. He was caught off guard here. He don't know what to say. Why you don't have a robe? Then the king said to his aides, Bind him hand and feet and throw him out into the heart of darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but a few are chosen. Many are called in the future. He, he knew about this wedding. He knew the king has called this wedding, but he made a decision not to wear the robe provided by the king. That, that's what happens if we're trusting in our own righteousness. It's going to be spotted. We're going to have a spot. We're going to have a blemish. Because our righteousness is filthy rags. Remember, our righteousness is as filthy rags. So he provides to God. Christ provides his righteousness. Remember, it was imputed unto Abraham. It is, it, it is imputed unto us. He's the lamb that was slain from the foundations of the world. When he told Abraham, God to provide himself a sacrifice. He's given us of his righteousness because I will write. God doesn't tell you to do something or be something or become something that he don't provide. So just as the master here, he had provided the garments and this man decided to come into this wedding without a garment. That's why he was speechless. He didn't know what to say. The guests do not enter the wedding immediately. When you send out invitations, it takes a while preparatory period to get ready to come to the wedding. A lot of people sent out wedding invitations. I remember my son, it was during the pandemic that he was getting married and it went out way ahead And because you have to get ready for something of that magnitude and it takes a lot on behalf of the bride to do. And the groom goes away and prepare a place in Hebrew culture. They would add a room or something to the house because they would normally stay at the parents' house or the groom's house. He would provide, you know, that many mansions that he go away to prepare for. Yeah. It doesn't mean that we're here doing nothing. He say, I go away to prepare a place for you. That where I am, you may be. So the bride should be making herself ready and robed in the righteous linen of the saints, right? The bride has made herself ready when the wedding does come. Now those gathered from the highways would be inappropriately clothed. So time is given to them to clothe themselves in that proper attire. Uh, we see Isaiah 64 and 6 says, But we are all as unclean thing, and all our righteousness as a filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. So he's calling us to the wedding feast of his son, to the wedding of the lamb and that's why I tell people don't wait till the last minute to come to Christ don't wait till the last minute we should we have a lot of work to do we have to rebuild the fallen foundations we have to get ready for this this wedding yes the book of Zechariah speaks of this with Joshua the high priest remember Joshua 
Zechariah 3, 3 through 4 says, Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. And he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with a change of raiment. It's like us. You remember I said, once he justifies us, he puts us in right standing with God. He forgets forgives us of our iniquity, of our sins. He has placed us in right standing with God. He had made us just. We're just in the eyesight of God. Now he's going to provide the righteousness that we should have. A lot of us, that's why I say you should be going to church if you believe in Jesus Christ. You should continue in his word if you have heard it. But some of us like this man that came to this wedding feast, persist in his own ways we are layered to sin we think we have no need of nothing we we have fine garments we have homes we have money we have everything we think we have need of nothing but you are naked and you're blind this guy he just must have been naked and blind because he he wasn't ready for this feast he shouldn't even been there so the king says bind him and cast him out of here the parable suggests not only did the man not have a wedding garment, but he did so intentionally. And that's what I said. We believe in a Burger King mentality here, doing things our own way. It was as if it was the time of the judges. Everybody did that was what was right in their own eyes. They read the Bible and read into the doctrines of the Bible what they want. That's why we have so many denominations and so much religious division. There's no rightly dividing the word of God. The doctrine is not proper. We'll get to that because it says, study to show yourselves approved. He had given gifts unto the church for this preparatory period, the fivefold ministry. He had said apostles, pastors, and teachers in the church that we should be without a spot or blemish. So there's no excuse. He's not taking any excuses. He's not willing that any would be ignorant of these things. The guy decides against clothing himself properly, even though the appropriate clothing is available. There'll be many a churches out there. There'll be many a churches around here, but we choose not to go to any of them. I, uh, you know, everybody in the church won't be saved, and I can do well on my own. And I start to go. I study, and we have a study group and everything, and. We do it this way. There's be many paths or roads to God. All of these things come to mind at this time. His presence at the wedding feast is a sign of his rebellion against the king's authority, the majesty that's symbolized by the feast. You're not really realizing who it is that's calling you. You think you know God. That's why a lot of them go out and do many works in God's name, but they don't have a relationship with God himself. They don't know Jesus Christ. They, they, they have a works religion, a works mentality, and they don't have a relationship with the Lord. When the man realizes his sin against the king's order, he is speechless as his judgment is pronounced. What did it say here? Every mouth shall be stopped and every knee shall swear and confess and those all that are incensed against him shall be ashamed. 
Every tongue shall stop at that time. You're going to realize what has happened here. This is a judgment that you have to face. This is authority that you have to face because he says all power and all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. You can acknowledge this. This is a leader that you have to acknowledge. This is not you. There's another way, another appellate court or uh, some other mediator. He is the mediator. He's all in all. The wedding garment, conspicuous and distinctive, it represents a person's righteousness. And that's why I say we must be robed in his righteousness. The bride, it stands for something with the bride, with the garment and the things she wears. And we've taken away the sacredness of weddings. We've taken away the sacredness of just what we're doing of making these vows and everything, of the sincerity in this. It symbolizes the habit of sincerity, repentance, humility, and obedience. We can't say to honor and to obey. We can't put a structure in most wedding vows nowadays. They, they've changed a lot of the wedding vows to be equal, and there's no submission, there's no authoritative order in what they're doing. There's no till death do you part, depart in sickness and in health. That's the sincerity of the wedding. That's why it's so much adultery and fornication. There's no turning away from the lifestyle, the life that you were living, the way you used to live have to be abdicated. There's another rule on the throne. Your body is no longer your body. Each spouse body belongs to the other spouse now. And our body is no longer ours once we're committed unto Christ to this groom. Pride, rebellion, it replaces the street clothes, that is, the habits of pride, rebellion, and sinfulness. You have to burn those things up. You can no longer live the way you used to live. Your conversation, everything has to change. This righteousness, you're pulling off your righteousness and being be, becoming robed in him. That's a difference here. That's why I say it's imputed. Imputed is reckoned to. It doesn't mean that you are righteous. It means that you are reckoned as being righteous. It's imputed, not imparted. And you remember I was giving a lot of court terms about adjudication and carrying out a sentence. We have to also put Christ on. As this is imputed unto us, we have to put Christ on. That, that calls for repentance. That calls for a mortification of the deeds of the body. He's not going to dwell in an unclean temple. And you're talking about a unity here. Biblically, beautiful clothing indicates a spiritual character developed by submission to God. That's how the character is developed, by putting yourself under submission to God. Yielding yourself unto Him, unto His Word. That's presenting your body as a living sacrifice unto him. He has total authority over you now. Revelations 3, 4 through 5. Uh, uh, Revelations 3, 4 through 5 says, Thou hast a few names 
even in sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before the angels. You see that their garments are not soiled. These people in this church, their garments are not soiled up. Okay, according to Revelations, that is 19, 7 through 9 says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife, listen to this, and his wife had made herself ready. That, that word, had made herself ready, says she's been doing something. She hadn't just been idle waiting on him. And I tell you, the bride is very busy coming up to the marriage. We should be busy redeeming the time. We should be busy getting ready for this. It says, And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. The righteousness of the saints. It doesn't say the righteousness of Christ there, does it? Is That's because we're doing something. We're pulling our righteousness off our righteousness now, his righteousness is becoming our righteousness. So we're pulling a lot of the world off. And since it was imputed unto us, now that we have the power and we're doing all these things, now walking in his righteousness, listening at his word, assimilating his word, we're, that linen is coming to pass. We're being washed by the word. Doesn't the word wash and sanctify us? The word is, that's why it says, if you continue my word, then are you my disciples. The word washes us and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Doesn't it? So, they've done something here. And he says, and he said unto me, right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said unto me, these are the true sayings of God. Uh. Paul exhorts Christians to put on the Lord Jesus like a garment in Romans 13 and 14. Romans 13 and 14, Paul says, put on Christ. It says, let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and Make no provisions for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Put him on. How are we going to put him on if he had already imputed this to our into our account? This is an actuality. In other words, this is actuated. The word actuated. You remember I said something activates this thing? Yeah. It's something that jump started a catalyst, something that ignites this fuse. We're putting him on. Uh, now, I, I wanted to talk, it's gone. this scripture is about foot, foot washing, but the foot washing is not the central focus, it's the character involved in foot washing. You remember I told you, take this as it was Cyrus? Yeah. You have to calibrate to yourself. Well, now I'm saying we have to do as Christ, we have to humble ourselves. You remember I tell, told you it takes humility, this is some of the work. Casting off pride, 
were to wash one another's feet, it's going to take a lot of humility. It's going to get rid of that pride. But it's going to also cause us to see sin is from day to day, and we're fighting sin every day. We've been imputed his righteousness, but it's just like the one that had been bathed, a bathed. He says, he that is bathed or clean doesn't have to wash his doesn't have to bathe all over. All he have to do is wash his feet. Yes. So if we imputed his righteousness, we have to ceremonially, uh, we have to actually do this cleansing of sin here. So it says, and since I, the Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. So that's why I say we need to embody a lot of symbolism in this. The common explanation for this is that it teaches us to learn humility by doing good for others, by doing acts of service, of kindness, and of for our brethren. That's what the thing is. This is certainly a good lesson that we can take from this example of Christ, but we can perhaps check out or derive or pull from this another one. In John's account, what did Jesus suggest that this symbolize? He tells Peter that the washing of the feet symbolizes forgiveness of sin to return him to a clean relationship with God because it says, if I wash thee not, you have no part with me. If I wash thee not, you have no part with me. It is only logical to deduce that God's expect nothing less from us in response to the sins of our brothers. Forgiveness, forgiving one another, doing just as Christ did, forgiving everyone. We were remitting others' sins unto them. In this lesson, of it should be as we've done unto you, do unto others. In the section of the Sermon on the Mount in prayer, Jesus says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you of your trespasses. Yes. See, 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 embodied in this, it getting right down there in the nitty gritty of it. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Matthew 6, chapter 14 through the 15 verse. So we see this reciprocal action going on. Uh, uh, doing one thing for another, but it's a work. It's making ourselves ready. The bride making herself ready. No doubt God puts a very great emphasis on relationships since our lives are to reflect His character. Or to do what? Reflect His character. That's why I say... In this righteousness, we're putting him on. We're to imitate Lord, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We're to do it. This is him living that life all over again. In other words, you remember I told you, his death was very significant. That was everything, the death, burial. But how about the life of Christ? The life that he lived. Well, that life that he lived, now he's living it through you all over again. It's Christ in me. Christ doeth the works. It is him doing this, not me. That I do, I don't want to do. And that, But you have to get to the point where now you have that same mind that is in him that logically this is what I want to do. This is the character that not wanting it, he is making me willing. That old man is dying. All of those things 
that were in me are being put to death in doing these acts. In other words, I can't just have an intellectual assent to this. It has to be experiential. In other words, I have to actually be a doer of God's word. Not just know God's word, but an actual doer of the word. So I say the word has to be live in us. The word is the thoughts. It's that it's what's actualized. It's what makes it real, being a doer of God's word. It's living and it makes us alive. That word is what makes man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. This is our life. This is our necessary food. Now, if we have begun to put on Christ, Galatians 3.27, would we be a good example of his love for us if we held grudges or hated our brother or would not forgive one another? It wouldn't be a good example of if we're putting him on because now we have to be like him and all of this other thing. Those are works of the flesh. Those are things of the old man and that old man is passing away. We're pulling him off. He moved out of this house. He's been evicted. He's been buried with Christ. He died just as Christ died. This is a new creation that's going about here. I'm moving new furniture into this house because if I leave it empty and I don't, that same demon will come back and seven worse demons along with him. So I have to put something new in here. I have to put the love of God in here. It says for all, of many of you, one version, the amplified version I'm reading, it says for all of you. But the King James says, for many of you who were baptized into Christ, and I'm using the Amplified because it has some things in parentheses I want to read into this that King James doesn't, but the Amplified sometimes brings the meaning. It amplifies the meaning of that with a universal meaning. In other words, with the Amplified Bible, you'll see these words that I'm preaching or teaching to you. In the Amplified, it says... For all of you who have been baptized into Christ, that is, into a spiritual union with Christ, the anointed. You remember Cyrus was called the anointed. But in other words, this spiritual union, you remember I tell you there's one baptism? It's the baptism of the Spirit into the body of Christ. When the, when the Holy Ghost puts you into the body, it says as many were baptized into Christ Jesus. Baptized come from a word with the stain of die. In other words, the blood of Christ. We're covered by the blood of Christ. We've been put into him because God had reconciled us in his death. The blood redeemed us. It brought us back. It, we're reconciled just like Abraham through faith. In other words, this is a spiritual union. You have to actually believe this and have faith that what has happened and transpired and all of this other stuff is the substance of that. So we have the faith of Abraham. We believe God in his word that this is actually, we are a new man. We are a new creation. This justification has happened. This redemption has happened. This righteousness is imputed. We may not see it, and it may not, but we're not walking by sight. We're walking by faith. So as it says, 
for many of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. That is, you have taken on his characteristics and his values. In other words, that's where the word Christians come from. It's his likeness. Christians are those like Christ, the miniature Christ. In other words, we're in his image and his likeness. We're doing, we're developing his characteristics. He's making us like he was. He's transforming or renewing our mind. We're a new creation. In other words, that circumcision that he did is writing those laws on our heart. That new nature, that new man that's in us, that's Christ himself. Christ has come in us. We have to actually believe that he's in us. That him and the Father has came to dwell with us and make a home there. We're in union with him. Obviously, no. Putting on Christ demands that we put off these carnal destroyers or relationships and replace them with Christian values. So we wouldn't say the things that used to come out of our mouth because out of a fountain cake, bitter and sweet water cannot come out of the same fountain. We have to start guarding our mouth. We have to start guarding our eyes. We have to have a new life. So if we're putting on Christ, it means that these other things are being put to death. The carnal man has to die. The carnality in us because it's at enmity with God. We drag this old man around, but we're killing him day by day. We're denying him. We're putting off and making no provisions for the flesh. We're putting those things off. Peter asked Christ, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me? And I forgive him up to seven times seven. Well, I have went through that with you, that Peter chose that number of something that wouldn't happen or wouldn't be able to say. But we are indeed fortunate and, and can be thankful that the same unlimited forgiveness applies to us when we need God's mercy. In other words, seven times seven of forgiving others as, they, as we we're being forgiven as we forgive others, that it's unlimited. So we stop looking for outs or ways that we could say, okay, after you do it this time, that's it. We develop that mind of being totally forgiven, totally merciful. We have to have those characteristics as a frame of mind. That become, that's becoming our new nature. That's becoming who we are. We're people of the circumcision and that the circumcision made without hands. That's by faith. It's, we're becoming a spiritual man, a spiritual like that first, the second Adam that Christ, we're in him. And just like Adam is the corporate head for the carnal of the physical of the sinful man, Jesus Christ is the corporal head for the spiritual man. The following verses uh we talk about the unforgiving servant, and, and I want to keep hammering on unforgiveness and the forgiveness here uh, about forgiving, but that's part of who we come or who we become as we do the forgiving. Second Corinthians 7 and 1 saying, Having therefore prom- these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh 
and spirit perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Listen to that. Therefore, having these promises, that is the promises of God, it says, let us cleanse ourselves. Uh, The Amplified reads a little bit different. The Amplified says, therefore, since we have these great and wonderful promises that's in the word of God, Beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that contaminates our body and spirit, completing holiness, because Peter tells us to be ye holy because he's holy. Uh, he says, living a, we have to living a consecrated life, a life set apart for God's purpose in the fear of God. The Living Bible reads it. Having such great promises as these, great dear friends, let us turn away from everything that is wrong, whether of body or spirit, and purify ourselves, living in the wholesome fear of God, giving ourselves to Him alone, because we are being presented as a chaste virgin unto Christ. So anything that's wrong in our lives, we have to purge it ourselves. And it says, if you would judge yourself, we wouldn't have to be judged. So he gave us a mirror, a preparatory mirror to look in. That's the word of God. And we're to purge and judge ourselves and continually tell us, let us examine ourselves. Let's see whether we be in Christ. If anything that we're doing is not as Christ or not in Christ, we need to cut that off. We need to leave that alone. As I'm preaching and teaching sometimes, I'm thinking of things, you know, I can't do that anymore. I have to leave that alone. The more we look into the Word of God, the more we hear about preaching and teaching, the more we know that we have to stop doing because we're going to receive a greater punishment than those that don't know to do this. Now we have the knowledge of this, and Peter says, add to your virtue knowledge. We have to keep adding knowledge to what we what's going on and what... It's in our lives because the Jews had a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. And he says, my people perish because of lack of knowledge. So we have to ask God, and when God is providing it, and he provides it through his word. He provides it through the revelation of Jesus Christ, through the preaching and teaching. So if we're not hearing preaching and teaching, if we're not sitting under a minister of God that's preaching these convicting words, if we sitting somewhere with itching ears only hearing that which pleases us, that keeps the old man, the flesh that pleasures us. So that's why sometimes suffering and sacrifice is required. It's hard, but it's a bitter pill to swallow like the word of God. It's sweet, it's good to hear and everything going down, but it, it's bitter. It's a bitter pill to swallow sometimes. It's a bitter pill to swallow. Let me tell you that, though. Let us cleanse ourselves has two aspects to it. Let us cleanse ourselves has two aspects to it. That says of all filters is the superfluity of the flesh. First, the negative side involves putting off the carnal characteristics of the kind mentioned in Galatians. 5, 19, and 21, which are the works of the flesh. We have to put those off. You remember I said, if we're going to be clothed in his righteousness, 
we have to put off some of our clothing of what we have. It says, and I'm going to read all three versions, two versions of this. First, the living version. It says, but when you follow your own wrong inclinations, your lives will produce these evil results. Impure thoughts, eagerness for lust for pleasure, idolatry, spiritualism, spiritualism that is encouraging the activity of demons, uh, hatred and fighting, jealousy and anger, constant effort to get the best for yourself, complaints and criticisms, the feelings that everyone else is wrong except those in your own little group, and there will be wrong doctrine, envy, murder, drunkenness, wild parties, and all that sort of thing. Let me tell you again, as I've told you before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. So those are the things that we have to put off. That's the negative side of cleansing ourselves of the filthiness of the superfluity of the flesh. Let me read that in the Amplified Version. It says, Now the practices of of the sinful nature... That's the old man, that old nature that you have. You remember I told you, you have to put it to death. In other words, you have to stop doing, you have to repent, turn from him. Yield not your members unto unrighteousness. These things are unrighteous. And we have to mortify the deeds of the body. In other words, stop doing them, put to death. So that's why I say, the bride making herself ready, there's some sacrifices there's some hard work that she has to do. That's a hard road to hope. It says, now these practices of the sinful nature are clearly evident. They are sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, total irresponsibility, a lack of self-control, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, Disputes, dissensions, factions that promote hearses, envy, drunkenness, riotous behavior, and other things like these. I warn you before, just as I did previously, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. The second aspect of this, the second aspect of this, there's a positive side of putting on godly characteristics. That was the negative. This is the positive side. Such as judgment, mercy, and faith, which out of Jesus' own mouth in Matthew 23 and 23 are the weightier matters of the law. You remember he says, you do all these other things, but you forget about the weightier matters. The weightier matters is, remember I told you, judgment mercy, and faith. Those are positive characteristics that we should espouse. Matthew 23 and 23 says, Woe unto you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These you ought to have done and not to leave the others undone. So you see the spiritual aspect of this? You see where righteousness comes into play because righteousness espouses judgment. There's no judgment 
that's justice comes with judgment, which is righteousness. We have to choose the new man. You might tell you have choices all during the day, and you have to choose. And God says, I set before you life and death. So we have choices, and he says, he that overcometh. And that's what we're busy doing, making these choices every day of which road we're going to follow or who we're following. Galatians 3, 27 and 28. It says, For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself, that is, you have clothed yourself with Christ. There is now no distinction in regard to salvation There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you who believe are all one in Christ Jesus. No one can claim a spiritual superiority to the other. In other words, you hear a lot of preachers talking about the Jews and the Jews of God's chosen people. There's no Jew or Gentile in Christ Jesus. There's no Jew or Gentile. And a lot of people talk about what a woman can't do and women do this and whatever. There's no male or female in Christ Jesus. We are one. Uh, uh, the Russian, I mean the other language, puts barbarian and Scythian in there, but let's just go on where we at here. God initially installs the new man, and it is our responsibility to nourish him. We have to feed him because of this circumcision that made without hands. God gives us this new nature. He's imputed his righteousness to us. We've received this grace. That's his unmerited favor toward man. He had justified us. He had put us in right standing. Now, we have to, there's some things here. I'm not saying that what we have to do, it is like Christ did. He came and he did it all. He says, we have to walk therein. So we have to live as he lived because it's us, him living through us. As I said, the bride has to make some herself ready. But I don't want to add works to this in such a way, even though we'll be rewarded according to our works. But it's not because of our works that we receive salvation. Is that understood? In other words, he's chosen this bride. But the bride is doing things to make herself ready, but it doesn't, it is not contingent upon her salvation. Remember, it's five wise and five foolish. Okay, so here's the one with knowledge. God initially installs a new man. It is clear from various scriptures that he is manifested in our conduct. That is, he is reconciled to God and man, that he is circumcised of heart, and that he is connected with the new covenant. Jeremiah 34th chapter, 32nd through 36th chapter, says it's going to be a new covenant I make. This is a new covenant. So this is pertaining to the promises that was in. You remember, this is the better covenant. Because it covers Jew or Gentile. This is to all men. It's conditioned on faith. And finally, that adopting him is a matter of choice on our part. Even though he says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. 
each day we go about adding. In other words, praying our Father. In other words, we're reckoning that we're the sons of God. We're believing that we've been adopted in His family. That's why I say it's a faith walk. Now you're coming out of this world. You're leaving. Even though you're in the world, you're not of the world because you belong to a new family. There's a pilgrimage you're taking. You are ambassador for a new kingdom, and that kingdom is coming unto earth. It's spiritual, but you're in the physical, but it's empowered through the spirit. God. But what? Uh, who is the new man? What or who is the new man? Now, the best way to answer this is to answer yet another question. What does God create the new man? Uh, when does God create the new man in us? Remember I saw you the inner man, the inner. There's a the seed, that seed of faith, you remember? Yes. That word that was made flesh. All of this is contingent on many other scriptures. That's why I said we it's doctrine that, that divides, it's doctrine that causes misunderstandings of salvation. But Paul answers that question in what I just now read in Galatians three twenty seven. For as many of you had who were baptized in the Christ have put on Christ. Those that were baptized in the Christ, he uses the verb in duo. In other words, to put on. You remember I told you about baptizing? The new, the living Bible reads in that verse, it says, And we who have been baptized into union with Christ are enveloped by him. We're enveloped by him. Its, it's literal meaning is to sink into. In other words, it's just like the watery grave that we were put in. In other words, to absorb. You remember, we have to be in the vine, yes. in Christ. He envelops so that righteousness that enshrines us to be robed. You know what a robe, do you have a robe at home? When you put on that robe, that's a covering. He's our covering. Yes. He, he's enveloped us. I tell you, baptized was the stain with the dye, a covering, the blood. We're covered by the blood. The, the blood on the dope horses and all that. That was in Christ. We sink into Christ when we are baptized. In other words, we're covered by the blood. We're redeemed by the blood. All of that is, all of it, Christ is central. That's why I say he's the way, he's the truth and the life. No man comes of the Father. Jesus, everybody has to confess Jesus. That's the name above it. So if you don't have Jesus, your religion leaves you without a Savior, without any salvation. That is when we first clothe ourselves with the new man or to put it a little bit more accurately, that is when God first establishes him within us. He's going to go away. He's going to send another comforter that's going to dwell with you. He's going to be in you and with you. It's better to understand that spirit in us than Christ in us. The Christ man because literally that's a union that comprises the whole God in. That is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Because God as man, I'm we're not saying God man, but we're saying the the Godhead, the fullness of it, dwells in Jesus Christ. But he says him and the Father would come in and sup with us and dine with us. 
Paul is clearly describing the new man in Galatians 27, and he connects putting on Christ with reconciliation. Remember I say we had been reconciled to God. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. He was in Christ. The churches of God in Christ really focus on that. That God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. We all want in God. Elohim, the family of God. Paul, the new man is by definition reconciled with God and with man. You remember I told you this reconciliation has to take place. Sometimes there's forgiven forgiveness without reconciliation. But reconciliation in the spiritual sense, reconciliation in theology has to occur. We're reconciled unto God. We put back in right standing with God. We're in the righteousness as we were because the carnal man is enmity with God. It always will be flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. We cannot be carnal. All of the carnality dies out. It's burned up. Paul immediately follows his statement that the baptized person has put on Christ with a statement about reconciliation. He says, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Everything has been reconciled unto Christ. Into Christ. We're all one. All. That's why I say all of us are one in him. Note the similarity of Paul's terminology and approach when he's using this in Colossians. If we read Colossians, the third chapter, the ninth through the eleventh verse, it says, he he says, to put on the new man. Paul immediately follows this statement with a discussion of reconciliation. And that's in Colossians, the third chapter, 9 through the 11th verse, is where I told you that other statement similar to this one was found. Now, we can answer, see how Galatians answer two questions here. We put on a sink into the new man when we are baptized. We put on Christ. That's the way you're understanding what happens here. This means Jesus Christ is the new man. It is Christ in us, the hope of glory. That's the new man that's in us. You remember I told you, everything is in the name of Jesus. So we have died. We sit in heavenly places. But it's Christ in us that doeth the works. It is Christ living his life through us. We're dead to sin. So we live to do the will of God. Our life is to do God's will. He's, we've come in the volume of the book it is written. Now we're understanding that our life is here to please God. It's, we no longer have a will. We're born again. And we are born, and all we do is aim to please the Father, to glorify the Father. We're His representative here on earth. We, we've died to self. We die, so we're not saving our life. We're losing our life. But by that, we gain our life. The new man conducts himself according to God's word, walking according to God's law. With this mind... With this in mind, Romans 13 and 13, 12 through 14, 
where Paul tells us we should walk as we have put on Christ. He says, therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly, not in reverence and, and in drunkenness, not in licentiousness and lewdness, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Christ. Put on Christ. Uh, now, we're going to have to start closing this down. I have a lot of scriptures here choosing the new man and becoming the new man, but we will have to let this wait to next time. But uh, John 17 and 13 says, uh, Christ himself prays to his Father, uh, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one. Paul tells us in Romans 8:10, If Christ is in you, the, the body is dead because of sin. If Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. Uh, Galatians 2.20 Paul speaks himself of all true Christians. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Are we understanding here? Ephesians 3.17-18 Referring to the inner man. Paul mentions that he prays that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Remember I told you, it's just like we're reckoned, uh, it's imputed to us. Well, through faith, it is Christ in our hearts. And we have died that we no longer live, that it's Christ in us. We actualize this, we bring this to life. First John 3.24 says, Now he who keeps his commandment abides in him, and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit which he has given us. So he had given us the Holy Spirit. That Spirit gives us knowledge to know that Christ lives in us. It's his Spirit. that That's how we know we are the sons of God, that we are born again. It's that that Spirit gives us this truth, this knowledge that Christ is in us, the hope of glory. John 14 and 20, God's word, his very logos answer those questions for us. He tells his disciples that at his resurrection, they will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Christ is not describing an impossible situation. He's describing perfect total unity and that's why we have to be united in him. And we're going to talk about unity in Ephesians and the unity of being one in Christ. And say, let that same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. We say, let us all be of the same mind. Let us walk. And how can we walk together unless we agree? So how can two walk together unless they agree? So we go take that up a little bit later, the imputation and being one in Christ, putting on Christ, being clothed in Christ. Heavenly Father, I 